0: Thank you. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, I struggle with sins of anxiety and, and I struggle with depression and a bunch of other things that are in the book and my name is Mark. We ought to do more of that actually, it's good to be with you this morning. One of our favorite family hikes is Pinnacle Peak, I've got a picture of it for you, It looks like the Matterhorn doesn't it? It's actually at the base of Mount Rainier, and we've been on top of that peak many times as a family. One spring, Cooper and I went out. It was early in the season, my son Cooper and I. And uh, it, it turned out there was a lot of snow still on the ground. In fact, there was so much snow that we lost the trail and ended up curling around behind the other side that we had, where we'd never been before. And we ended up in a, a vast snowfield, making our way up the snowfield without the proper equipment without crampons, without ice axe, and um, it wasn't dangerous, but it was slippery. Cooper was ahead of me trying to cut his way on up the hill, and suddenly he lost his footing, and he went sliding past me, and as he flew by on his back, he called out, save me, Father. (laughs) He was teasing, he was fine, and it wasn't, as I said, treacherous, But those words have actually stuck with me for years. Save me, Father. I want to talk about salvation today. Our Advent season was focused on Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we, I think we're blessed by the focus on that name of the Lord. But the other name with which we are more familiar, the name is Jesus. And Jesus means God saves. Did you know that? Uh, when the Gabriel, uh, angel Gabriel announced that Mary and Joseph were going to have this child, they were told to name him Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And then 33 years later, when Jesus made his way down from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem on that day we call Palm Sunday, the people gathered around him and they cried out, Hosanna! Do you know what Hosanna means? It means, save us, we pray. Save us. Save us salvation. Salvation is such a churchy word, is such a religious word, and we use it so frequently and so easy. I think sometimes we forget how wonderful it is that we've been saved. We've been saved. Peter never forgot it. He never forgot how wretched he felt When, after bragging that he would be the last of the disciples to deny, he would be there no matter what the others did, when when he claimed that three three times he ended up denying the Lord, he never forgot that moment. He was gutted with shame at his failure. It says he went out and just wept for his abandonment of Jesus to the clutches of the Romans. But after his resurrection, Jesus met with Peter again. I, I love this scene. In John chapter 21, he met him on the shore of Galilee, took him aside after he had made breakfast for him. He didn't make Peter come crawling to him, nor did he wag his finger at him and say, see, I told you, you deny me. Instead, he said three times, I love you, I love you, I love you. He forgave him, he restored him. In that moment, he saved him. He saved him, and Peter never forgot that. In fact, he declared the salvation of Jesus for the rest of his life, right up until the moment when Emperor Nero, remember that nasty guy that we talked about last week? Emperor Nero crucified Peter because he refused to deny Jesus this time. In fact, if you'll take a look, uh, Peter Peter uh, didn't even count himself worthy to be crucified in the manner of his Lord, and so he asked to be crucified upside down. This is Caravaggio's rendition of it, a uh, depiction of it, which I find to be so powerful. He was not worthy because he loved his salvation, his Savior so much. A few years before Peter died in, Ro- in Rome, he wrote to a group of believers who were scattered through the northwestern part of what we call Turkey today. These were spiritual exiles who were living in a very hostile world. And Peter in this writing reminded them we talked about this last week, that God had chosen them. They were the elect of the Heavenly Father. God had chosen them as His children. He had written them into His will. And He had granted them an inheritance that was, as Peter puts it, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And then He goes on and He says, a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Typically, when we read the words last time in Scripture, it, we ordinarily assume that it means the end times, that time when Jesus will return to the earth and restore everything to Himself. But that word, last time, it can actually actually mean something else. It can mean the worst times. When worst comes to worst. He said a salvation ready to be revealed when worst comes to worst. So when Peter, was, what he was saying I think to these spiritual exiles was no matter what it is you're going through, God has already saved you. You need to remember your salvation. You need to claim your salvation. You need to cling your salvation. You need to treasure your salvation. No matter what. Especially when worst comes to worst. We too, beloved, are spiritual exiles, and as I made the case last week, we too are living in an unbelieving and increasingly hostile world, aren't we? Where to be a follower of Jesus is no longer a laudable thing, no longer viewed as, as a beneficial thing to our society. So we're living in harder times to be followers of Christ, but God has saved us. And I want to reflect this morning with the Apostle on how wonderful is our salvation. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning with verse 6. Again, it's near the end of the New Testament before Revelation, a little further earlier than that still. Starting with verse 6. Verse 6, in this, he writes, in this salvation, in other words, based on the previous verse, in this salvation, he writes, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. I'm also grateful for how Gunnar aligns the, the hymns with the th- text of the morning and the, those last verses of How Firm a Foundation uh, where it talks about the uh, testing of our faith, the, though it be burned like fire and the dross comes to the... It was just wonderful. Such a wonderful alignment of our singing and our worship and the Scripture this day. The first thing that Peter points out in his letter to his beloved Christian friends, is this, our salvation is precious. I wonder if you saw that. Our salvation is precious, more precious than gold, he says. I want you to just think about the word salvation, again, it's a churchy word, we have used it so often, but think about what it's saying, it is a saving. How precious is it to be saved? This is going to be a little crowd participation here this morning. If you have ever had your life saved by someone, raise your hand. Look around. Wasn't that precious? If you have ever saved someone's life, would you raise your hand? Uh, fewer. I, uh, I did once. There was a little girl named Maria, she was drowning in a hotel swimming pool and I pulled her out and the look on her face when she was saved was, I will never forget it. Hands up if you've ever been saved from a health scare that looked really treacherous, raise your hands. You know I have. Nineteen years ago, I fell on my head on the ice in Sun Valley, and they described my condition as grave. This church was praying that I would be saved, and God in His mercy did. He saved me. How about this? Hands up if you've ever been saved from your own stupid actions, spared the consequences that you knew you deserved. Raise your hands. If not everyone raising your hands here, then I think you're liar, 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 pantyhose on fire. And with every being part of my fiber of my being, I would say, This is so true for me. God has spared me consequences I knew I deserved. He saved me from that. If you've ever been saved from anything or from anyone, we could easily raise our hands. And isn't our salvation precious? And of course, the greatest salvation that any of us received, the greatest of rescues came from Jesus Himself, from God save us, His name. He took your sins, our sins, upon Himself. He traded His righteousness for our iniquity. He declared you, He called you, and He saved you, and He declared you forgiven and cleansed and holy in the sight of His Father. Do you remember how wonderful it felt When Jesus saved you, that moment when you confessed your sin and received the gift of his salvation, it could be that your memory has grown dim. I know many of us are long, long time believers, and it might be too, if you don't remember such a moment, it might be worth asking, have I been saved? Because that salvation, that eternal salvation of your soul is so precious, it is the most wonderful gift of all. And I'm afraid that we too easily forget it. We too easily take it for granted. Your salvation is the most precious thing ever given to you. Your salvation is precious, Peter writes, and then he goes on and says, your salvation is also proven through testing. It is proven. Peter says, for a little while, For a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials that have tested the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire. This is so important for us to understand, especially in this time, but all times, there are times of testing, times of suffering, times of stress, times of pain, times of sickness, times of abandonment, times of rebellion, these are the means by which God purifies our faith and strengthens us in our salvation. The number one objection to faith around the world, the number one objection to the existence of God, the number one obstacle with which people deal with is this, is suffering. How can a loving, good, powerful God allow suffering? And it's a fair question. By the way, it's a question that every religion or irreligion is going to also have to grapple with. It doesn't just belong to us. Everybody has to come to grips with this one. It's a fair question. And what is the answer that God gives to us when we say, God, why is there suffering? What is the answer? He doesn't tell us. God has not chosen to explain himself to us on this matter. We're going to talk more about it in chapter 3. There's a lot that he has told us about suffering. But the why of it he has not chosen to tell us. But there are a couple of things about suffering that are revealed in this part of his holy word. First of all, he says, suffering purifies our faith. Why would we rather there were other ways of doing that? But he says, suffering purifies our faith. Gold is purified by fire. Under fire, impurities rise to the surface. They're called dross and they are scraped away. And Peter says suffering is this, just like this. It's one way that God fires us in the crucible of life. And it purifies us. It strengthens our faith. One commentator compared suffering to working out. I can really relate to that analogy. Cindy and I are thinking about joining a gym. Our intent is to go there and lift weights and strain our muscles and subject ourselves to pain. Now why would you do such a thing? Which is a great question, you can ask me in a year if I actually did it. But the answer of course is, through that suffering we are made stronger. Those sore muscles indicate that I'm actually becoming a stronger person, a healthier person. And suffering does that to our salvation. I want to remind us, again, these are little theology lessons. There are two kinds of salvation, two expressions of our salvation. The, The first one is the moment that we invite Jesus to save us. The Bible calls that justification. It's the moment that it happens. It's instantaneous. On Christmas Eve, something like 20 people of all ages raised their hands when we invited them to open the door of their hearts to Jesus. 20 more people said in that moment, said yes to Jesus, and in that moment the deal was done. They were saved. Justification. And it's a fancy word that means instant, instantaneous, unearned salvation. That unearned part, we got to get into our heads because we still think we got to earn it. It is instantaneous, unearned salvation. But there's another part of our salvation, another expression of it, and it is a process. It is like the firing of gold in a crucible, and that is called sanctification. Being made more and more holy, being made more and more set apart for God, being made more and more in the image of Jesus. It's what the Holy Spirit does to make us more and more like Jesus. And Peter says, suffering does that for us. Suffering purifies us. Suffering sanctifies us. That's one thing we learn about suffering from this passage. Here's another. He says suffering is temporary. Did you hear? I called it out carefully. I repeated it a couple of times. Peter's words are, for a little while. Did you hear that? For a little while. In fact, he says, if necessary. I don't know which... I'd rather be the one for whom it's not necessary, if it's an option. But he says, for a little while. One of the ways that we endure a season of suffering is to remind ourselves this Two shall pass. It doesn't feel like it at the time. This week I spoke to families who are deep, in deep mourning over the loss of loved ones. They are drowning in a grief that feels like it will never end. And of you who have lost your spouses or lost loved ones, you know what that feels. You feel like you just barely can take a breath And you think it will never end, but it will. Peter says, for a little while, this too shall pass. If we grasp these two things, that God uses suffering to purify and to strengthen us in our salvation, and that suffering is temporary, set against the backdrop of the eternity for which we have been saved and into which we have been called... Then all of that sets in context that which has absorbed the world's attention for the last two years. COVID. The whole world is focused on the suffering that COVID has caused. Headlines continue to fan the fires of fear. COVID is an enemy. It is a foe to be defeated. And of course, that's true in one sense, isn't it? COVID is a dangerous enemy, and we can prove it right in our own church family. It deserves our attention. It deserves our response and our vigilance. But here's the the tough thing I'm going to say. If we really believe what Peter says, then we can declare with full confidence that COVID, even COVID, is a servant of Almighty God. Do we dare say that? I dare say that. Because COVID, if if suffering purifies our faith, if suffering strengthens us in our salvation, and COVID has certainly been a source of suffering, then in a sense we ought to embrace it. Pull it to ourselves rather than pull it to ourselves. Say, all right, Lord, if I must endure this, if we must endure this for a time, then bring it on. Use it to Teach me and train me and strengthen me. Use it to redeem me. Redeem what the world fears, Lord. Redefine it as your servant, a means by which you empower your people and strengthen your church and reveal your goodness and your kindness and sacrifice in a humanity that has become so self-absorbed. In other words, if what Peter is saying is true, then even COVID, even this pestilence, is subject to the will and the authority of God, who can and will use it ultimately and redeem it for His holy purposes and His kingdom's sake. And I realize this is, could be controversial. This is a hard thing to hear, especially if you've lost a loved one to this der- terrible disease. I still maintain it is true. God is not the author of evil. God is not the source of pestilence and, and death. The devil, the, the God of this broken world according to Paul in Second Corinthians, the devil is responsible for all of that. But our God is so great that He can take even the worst suffering by which the devil intends to steal and kill and destroy and he converts it to a tool for his good. Yes, even covered. And if we don't believe that, then we don't really believe in a sovereign, all-powerful God. Our salvation is precious. Our salvation is proven through times of trial. And then finally, watch this. And this is, in some ways, my favorite part of this passage. Our salvation is privileged. It is privileged. I want to take a look at the last portion of this passage, starting with verse 10. Peter continues, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched... And inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. When he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. In these things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven... Things into which angels long to look. You, we, are privileged to receive this message of salvation through Jesus, Peter says. Especially I want you to look at the last chunk of this passage. Peter talks about the saints of old who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. He says these these ancient saints from hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, they searched and they inquired carefully. They were trying to figure out who this Messiah would be and when he would come. But Peter goes on to say these prophets were serving not themselves, but you through the good news delivered. From heaven, the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and all of the rest, they only caught a glimpse of salvation. They only caught a glimpse of the gospel. As hard as they prayed and studied and fasted and listened for the Spirit, they came to realize that their message was not for themselves, it was for those who were yet to come. Who might that be, beloved? You, us, that message proclaimed in the Old Testament, that was for you. You have not seen him, but you love him, that's for you. We who have heard the message of Jesus Christ, we are privileged to hear the gospel that prophets could only foretell, but Peter digs in even deeper. Here we come to my favorite part of this passage. This precious salvation, this message is to something, is something into which the angels long to look. Think about that. The angels long to look. I love this phrase. In fact, that's why I called this sermon for your eyes only. The message of the prophets, the salvation that has been offered to us is such an amazing revelation that the angels in heaven long to look at it. They long to sneak a peek. Think about that. The angels who reside in heaven, who are present in the throne room of Almighty God, the angels who were present at the moment of creation when God spoke the entire universe into existence. The angels who have, who have witnessed every great and awesome act of God. They long to look into this salvation that we have been privileged to receive. How cool is that? The last time I was in Jerusalem in 2019, just before COVID hit. In fact, I think we might have brought it back from Jerusalem. We were a bunch of sick people. The last time we were there, we took our people on a tour of the Western Wall Tunnel. The Western Wall Tunnel runs underground about 70 feet under modern day surface of the ground along the base of that Western Wall, or what we incorrectly call the Wailing Wall. You see a picture of that. Go down 70 feet. That's where the That's where the level of the ground was at the time that Jesus walked in Jerusalem. And so we always take this group on this tour of the Western Wall Tunnel where we get down to the very foundation of the Western Wall. And as the group started out with their guide, my guide, our tour guide, leaned over to me and said, you want to see a secret? What do you think my answer was? So of course I wanted to see a secret and so he snuck me into an area that is still being excavated, but is off limits to the public. Nearly 2,000 years ago, the historian Josephus wrote of of a theater, we call them amphitheater, that's incorrect, of a theater that had been built by Romans near the Jerusalem temple. Nobody had ever found any sign of such a thing, and they assumed that Josephus was just mistaken. Don't bet against Josephus. Because Jacob led me around the corner, and there it was. Here's a picture of it. This is is a Roman theater at the base of the Temple Square. And the rumors of its discovery are flying around the community. People can't wait to see this unbelievable historical discovery, which won't even be open to the public for years. They long to see it and can't. But I. The angels long to see what we have seen. And what does it mean? What does that mean? I think it's this. Only those who have been saved can really experience the depth of what salvation means. Angels didn't need saving, so they never experienced the depth of God's love, the love that sent His Son to earth to suffer and to die for us. That wasn't for them. That was for us. Angels don't have sin that needs to be forgiven, so they can't comprehend what it must be like for us to experience the bliss of having a lifetime of sin and guilt lifted from our chests, from our shoulders in a single moment. The gift of forgiveness, the gift of grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit entering your life and wiping away all iniquity and making you as clean as the driven snow, angels have never experienced the power of God's salvation. They long to look into the depths of that experience, but they can never see it. They can never understand it. They can only imagine it, because it is a privilege reserved for us, us whom Jesus saved by the gift of his very life. This precious salvation is for your eyes only, and the angels just have to wait, and that is amazing. One of my life group members, as you know, I meet with a group of men and they help me write my sermons every week. And one of our members described this passage as chunky. There's so much more here, so much that we could talk about. I'm barely touching on the surface, so I hope that you are still reading this this text in, in your own time as part of your devotional life. But if we could leave today with even these three ideas, that our salvation is the most precious thing in the world. That our salvation is proven and purified by our suffering. And that our salvation is an enormous privilege that not even the angels can comprehend. Maybe that would give us a new and deeper appreciation of how really wonderful is our salvation. And how much our God must love us. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for saving us. Repeat that after me. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Say it again. Thank you for saving me, Lord. Lord, thank you that you saw us in distress and you couldn't bear it. Thank you, God, that you sent your son on a rescue mission And that by his sacrificial death, you have wiped away every bit of sin and shame that wants to stain and cling to us but cannot. Forgive us, Jesus, when we take this precious gift, more precious than gold, for granted. Thank you that you are so powerful that you can use even our suffering to prove and to refine our salvation. thank you for this great privilege that which the prophets only glimpsed that which the angels can never experience you have given to us by your grace if there's something from which you need to be saved right now maybe it's a frightening medical prognosis. Maybe it's a, a struggling marriage. Maybe it's kids that are going their own way as I talk to one heart sick dad. Maybe it's finances that are kind of crumbling around you. Maybe it's sin that you just it's an abiding sin that you cannot break free of. If there is something from which you want Jesus to save you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Just raise your hand right now. If there's something that you want Jesus to save you from, raise your hand right now as a testimony, as an assertion in your own heart. Lord, you see these hands that have been raised, they are crying out Hosanna! Hosanna! Save us! And so Lord, would you see them and would you Answer their prayer. If you've never if you've never invited Jesus to be your Savior, if you don't really even know what it means to talk about salvation because you have never experienced that, again, every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I've never I've never asked Jesus to save me. I see your hand then join with me in quietly praying this prayer one more time. Lord, I'm sorry for my sin, for my rebellion, for running away from you. Father, I'm sorry. Jesus, thank you for saving me. And please, Holy Spirit, will you make me into the person I was created to be? pray these things in the name of our Savior. Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10:30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at ChapelHillPC.org.